Welcome back into the Wednesday Bible study. And I mean, it's starting to feel more like a, uh, like a, like a full blown Bible study because more men here in uh, the Birmingham, Alabama area are finding their way back to the Rick and Bubba studio. And we've got even more of the guys that have made their way back this week. So we're slowly building back up here in the studio, which is a great feeling. Uh, you guys need to be sure to tell anybody doesn't know that's a normal part of our, our group that we are back meeting here together in person. As well as all of you that are that are watching on the YouTube channel are, are listening to a podcast archive. Uh, let's do a little bit of business, and then we're going to get in today. We will actually finish uh, a series that now has gone uh, 24, 25 weeks, uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you haven't been keeping up with it, uh, this will this will work today, even as a standalone Bible study. Trust me, because we're going to be in the powerful. Romans chapter 8 today, so we're going to be all right. So don't don't worry about that if you haven't uh, been with the entire study. But if you do want to go back and pick up some of the archives, you can do that here on the YouTube channel. If you're watching, uh, just click on Playlist, and you can work your way back through the archives. Or you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, uh, click on Listen, and the audio-only archives are there too. A couple things you need to know. Starting next week, here's where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to be in the, the latest a uh, 40-day devotional called How to Be a Man. There, This is a three-book devotional series. Uh, the first one was The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. The second was uh, Real Men of the Bible. And now the third one is Discovering What It Means to Be a Disciple. We've talked about in this Bible study about the difference uh, in being a disciple of Jesus and a believer of Jesus. And we're going to unpack through eight different authors, uh, eight different concepts uh, that uh, that would define being a disciple. If you're a disciple of Jesus, he, these concepts uh, are part of that, and we'll walk through that. I think I can get this in in eight weeks, so this will not be a long study. Uh, so if you want to pick up a copy of this from themanchurch.com, you can. If you don't, no obligation for you to have it. You can still get the concepts by taking good notes uh, as we walk through it. Also, uh, Bubba and I both had an opportunity to be part of this, uh, this is really cool. It's a 42-day devotional, United for Victory. It was assembled, directed, and edited by friend Lance Ingram. Uh, and this is 42 different men on 42 different topics for 42 different days. It's really cool. Uh, any of these things can be great Father's Day gifts if you haven't already gotten uh, something for the dads on your list. If you do this on the pre-order, uh, which is by going to warriorunited.com slash Bubba, that's warriorunited.com slash Bubba, if you do the pre-order, uh, it'll come to you autographed by Bubba and by Lance and, and by me. Uh, so that'll be, uh, and you get a printout if you want to go ahead and give it for Father's Day before the book gets there. And uh, there's some there's some big names in here, and then there's Bubba and me. So, uh, but you you can check. And these men are in all different walks of life. What a great project! It took three years to get that done. Uh, TheManChurch.com is out and about. You can go there and find out where we're going to be uh, by looking at upcoming events. I get the opportunity this Sunday. If you're listening to us on, um, uh, what is today, June the 9th? Is today the 9th? Uh, on June the 9th, uh, coming up on the 13th this Sunday, I'll be at Gardendale First Baptist. I'll be uh, preaching at both services, 915 and 1050 in Gardendale, Alabama. And in the second service, I get to baptize my nephew. So that's going to be a special moment. Looking forward to that. And then Father's Day weekend, the Gridiron Men's Conference is going on. That's Friday and Saturday night, the 18th and the 19th. If you don't have your tickets to that, your group is not ready to go. You still have time. Go to gridironmen.com. I'll join. Uh, I'll be joining Herschel Walker, uh, Ike Reichard, um, uh, Jonathan Evans, uh, also Gary Chapman uh, and Phil Waldrop. Charles Billingsley leads worship. We go Friday night and then half a day on Saturday for Father's Day weekend. So make plans 
to be with us. So let's open up in a word of prayer and let's finish up Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be together. Uh, Lord, we, we're excited about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, men are, are not just, you know, getting together uh, via all this great technology. Um, and I know there's women that, uh, that watch uh, the Bible study and listen to. We welcome them. Uh, but this started out as uh, the foundation of this is a men's Bible study. Uh, and uh, the men have been coming to this studio for seven years. Uh, and we're excited to have some of the men uh, back in the room today. So thank you, Lord, and all that you've taught us through this pandemic and the ongoing struggles that continue uh, around the world, uh, continue to refine us into the people that only you can make us. Now today, Lord, uh, may we leave here knowing that you are adequate, you are complete, and we need nothing more than you. And help us to understand that today, Lord, as we unpack your holy word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So so welcome in. Uh, the, glad you're here, guys. Glad to have a lot of you back in the room today. Uh, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, we're going to be in the very powerful, uh, we're going to be other places, but our foundation for finishing up this will be Romans chapter 8. Now, for some of you that went through the book of Romans here, word by word, some of this is going to be repetitive. Some of this you, you remember but boy, it's always good to go back and be reminded because J.I. Packer is using Romans, the book of Romans, but mainly Romans chapter 8 to, to say, if you want to understand that, that God is everything we need, he is adequate, he is it, um, then, uh, then you need to go to Romans chapter 8 in the book of Romans because Paul unpacks this. Remember, we started with that long list of all the different things that the book of Romans provides. Some of this we had covered in our study of the book of Romans. But uh, last week we, we ended, and with some of this we'll repeat a little bit, but the last thing that, uh, that we talked about when we ended last week's uh, study is that nothing can separate us from the love of God which comes to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we will hit that theme again this week because of the way Packer lays it out. But one of the things that, that Paul wants us to, to re- re- reflect on uh, is a couple of promises, and if you have um, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, look at verse thirty one. Is kind of what we're going to impact because remember we left last week. Paul was telling us in verse thirty eight and thirty nine that he is convinced that he is sure of certain things, and he and the and the beautiful thing that J. I. Packer taught me that I didn't know about the book of Romans is how many times that the Apostle Paul says something, and he almost looks to us and goes, "You agree with me? Are we in agreement on this?" You know, can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Uh, and um, these are the things that we should all agree on as followers of Jesus, which I thought was really moving. So, um, one of the, so we left last week with, you know, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which comes to us in Christ Jesus. But then, then we almost go back for, for for some reason. Packer goes back in Romans chapter eight, and he says, let's go back to verse twenty uh, thirty one. And he takes on the concept, he says, if, if those of us that are in Christ, you need to remember this. And now more than ever, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, listen to what he says in verse 31. What then shall, shall we say to these things? And what he means by that, he's looking at you and me and he's saying, what, what, what do you say about this? Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you say about this? These things he just talked about. Uh, and he just finished talking about, that, that, that those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those who, those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then 31, he says, what do you think about that? Uh, and we're like, yeah, hallelujah. Uh, we like that. And the next thing Paul says is, if God is for us, who can be against us? I remember I was able to preach this uh, to a football team back in 2010, I think it was. I, I know it was 2010. 
And my son was playing football, and, and he, the head coach had asked him, would I come down and speak to the team? And I remember walking in saying, look, y'all have heard a lot of rah-rah speeches throughout your life. I'm about to give you the greatest halftime or pregame speech you've ever heard in your entire life. And it, and it comes from Romans chapter 8. And this is what we're in right now. I mean, and I said, when you're done hearing everything Paul has to say, wrapping up Romans chapter eight, if you're not fired up, if you're, if you don't feel, if you just don't feel like celebrating, then there's something wrong with you. And that's one of the things we talked about. If we are in Christ, no matter how bad this world looks, no matter how bad things may be, may be, no matter where we are, there is no opposition that can finally crush us. We can't be crushed by it. We may be uncomfortable. We may struggle. It may hurt. But Paul is almost screaming, you know, it's, it, you've heard some of these great stories of when the martyrs were being martyred, uh, for Christ, that, that they the other believers would actually motivate. I mean, I'm talking about why they're being carried to be burned. They're being carried to be beheaded. You know what they keep saying? Don't forget. Don't forget that, that this is momentary. You are about to step in the presence of the Lord because you've been redeemed by Jesus. And because of that, hey, folks, if I've been redeemed, if I know that when my life ends on this earth or Jesus comes comes in on the clouds, whichever of those two things happen, and one of them's going to, that because of the reconciliation provided me by Jesus, what death can't even beat me. Death can't even, I mean, what about when Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he starts trash talking, trash talking death. Oh, death, where's your sting? Jesus has defeated, uh, just, just, uh, heard my pastor doing this, uh, and we did it. And we studied, uh, first uh, Peter chapter three, 19, when, you know, Jesus, after he's been crucified and, and, and Peter says, Hey, he went down to where those demons that God had, had locked away all these different attempts by Satan to stop him from redeeming us. And he does the whole list all the way back to Adam and Eve. And then we go through Cain and Abel and all the, the Tower of Babel, all these different attempts, the Nephilim, where these angels try to go and produce offspring with human women. God kills everybody but eight people. Here, here's Satan. He's trying to have his own version of a God man. And Jesus says, you didn't stop us. He stands in front of those demons and you know, he says, I won. I won. You didn't do it. You couldn't stop the redemption of mankind. It's been done. So Paul says, now that we know this, what in the world's going to come against you? On your worst day, if you're redeemed, everything really is going to be all right. What can come against you? Death? I just put this in the presence of the Lord. So Paul wants us to understand this. He wants us to reflect on what God says about himself in Scripture. So, so write this down if you don't have it. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Oh, this, this is the kind of stuff that fires you up. And Paul wants you to remember Remember who you serve. Remember who redeemed you. Who in the world can come against the redeemed? And here's what God says about himself through Isaiah. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. That's the God we serve. You know who can stop him? Nobody on heaven, earth, don't matter where it is. And then in the spiritual realm, it doesn't matter. He wins. We, we, we're on the, we're on the side that wins because we're with him. And that's why we got to take this attitude when people start coming after God and they do. It's happening now all over the world. It's happening in this country. But you know what the redeemed say? I'd rather be at odds with you than the great I am. He wins. So I'm going to be with him. 
I don't hate you. I just stand with him. If you oppose him, then I oppose you. If you oppose me because of him, bring it on because I'm not leaving him. Right? When Jesus said, those who abide in me, those that remain in me. Okay? So anyway, so he, uh, Paul wants us to know he is sovereign. And he said, um, if you, if you don't forget anything else, no matter how bad it is, don't ever let it leave your mind ever, if you're redeemed, that God is for you. Don't ever let that leave. God is for you. Remember, opposition, uh, heaven, uh, are, are demonic. It, 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 those things will all, I'm sorry, human are demonic. Those things will always be. Rick, you mean if I'm with God, I'll be opposed by human beings and demonic forces? Yes. He never, he didn't withhold that from us. So part of following Jesus is to face opposition. And that's the reason why I get so uncomfortable when I see the church, and I'm putting quotes, the church, people who claim to be the church living in so much fear. Oh, don't, don't upset those people. Don't upset that movement. Well, if it's God's standard, then let them be upset. All I'm saying is what God's standard did. If it was up to me, I guess people could do whatever they wanted to as long as they didn't bother me because I'd just be worshiping me and they can worship themselves if they wanted to. But I don't. I worship the one and only living God. And if the one and only living God says, this is my standard and this, and when it's not my standard, that is sin and don't be with these people. I don't know how to break it to you. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to study 1 Corinthians after we finish the, this next the devotional. If you look at 1 Corinthians, you will see that if people claim to be lost, then we continue to be gracious and we continue to hopefully work with them to draw them to redemption. We continue to interact with them. We continue to fellowship with them. Okay, that's fine. But if there's people out there that claim to be the church and they claim to be redeemed and then they live in opposition... To God, you know what the scriptures say? Don't even eat with these people. Don't have anything to do with these people. That's a big statement. And you say, well, that may upset people. That may people get mad at me. Let them get mad at me. You know, I, because what, what's happening with those people, the lost are not claiming anything. They're acting like lost people because they are lost. But where the Bible gets really, really upset is when God says when people act like they're with me, but they act differently. They pretend, they say that they're redeemed, but they live in opposition to me. They say I've evolved and that they live under the authority of a, a God they've created themselves. I have nothing for those people and, and don't have anything to do with them. So that's one of the things that we go through in our life. You know what we say? Now, is this person lost or is this person claiming to be redeemed and then living uh, in, in, in conflict? Because that's two different approaches. And the Bible is very clear about that. So there will be opposition from human beings. It, uh, G- Jesus said it may be even from your own family. There will be opposition from, 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 uh, from demonic forces. That's a fact. And what he's asking is this. You ready for this? You afraid of them? God's with you. Are you afraid of this opposition compared to God? See, that was the thing, you know, I, I go back and say this again, before the Holy Spirit, because Peter's different after the Holy Spirit, I think the reason why that Peter gets out that sword and tries to kill that guy but cuts his ear off, and we've talked about that, he cut his ear off because he missed, he wasn't aiming for his ear, okay? The reason why Peter is so bold right there is because he said, y'all can't come against this guy, I'm telling you. I've, I've seen what he can do. So he's not afraid. When does he become afraid? When Jesus says we're not going to fight them right now, we're go- we're gonna we're gonna sacrifice ourselves and be martyred because our real reward is in the presence of my Father. I'm going I'm going to willingly go. Then Peter said, "Well, I didn't know about that because now he now he's 
now he's kind of forgotten who he's with. He's like, I didn't know that was the deal. Well, see, all that's over. The, the lowly servant, over. That's done. The King of kings and the Lord of lords has returned back to his proper place at the right hand of the Father. And I promise you, when he comes again to gather his church, he's not going to be worrying where he has to sleep. And he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to have dirty clothes on. And he's not going to be the lowly servant. He's going to come back. And you know what the Bible says? The second time he comes back, there won't be any argument about it. Everybody's going to know. And when we die, that's also, that's the Jesus we stand in front of. He's back to his, he's back to his glory. So he says, the glorious Jesus is who redeemed you. And he's back. The, the, the great I am, the holy, holy, holy father and the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's who's your advocate. So what are you afraid of? The wrong kind of fear is sin. Because you know what the sin says? You know why it's sin? Because I'm afraid because that must mean I, I don't know my place. I don't, re- I've forgotten who I'm with. And that's why that can be sinful. And that's why we are told over and over again to fear not. Paul is saying, if you are afraid, you need not be. Yeah. Amen. All right. So what's the next thing that, uh, that we find out that we get excited about? So we know that, that if, if God is for us, who can be against us? What's the next thing? No good thing is withheld from us. You say, well, well, underline good. It doesn't say no thing is withheld from you. No good thing is withheld from you. And that's important. And what does Paul, what does Paul tell us? He did not, verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He said he gave his own son for you. He didn't withhold anything from you. You know, you, you know that feeling. You know, if you, if you were to go to your children and say, look, whatever I have is yours. And, and you would say, well, but dad, how can we, how can we count on that? My goodness, name one thing that I haven't provided for you. I mean, I would give up my own life for you. It, it doesn't get any bigger than that. If you know that I give up my own life for you, what else am I going to withhold from you? He says this, he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. And he says, no good thing. Now I want you to underline that. That's important. No good thing will be held from us. Paul wants us to understand the costliness of this. He wants you to understand that God's already gone on record that he's willing to sacrifice for us. He did not spare his own son. So God already said, I went to the limit. And, you know, because you think about this, and the Bible tells us this. Would I give up my life for people that I love? Yes. I really do. I don't think I'd have any problem giving up my life for my wife, my children, even even my friends. But would I give up my life for my enemies? Mm-mm. No, I probably wouldn't. Straight up. You know, I, I probably wouldn't. I'd be like, you know what? That was an enemy of mine. That person hated me. That person blasphemed me. That person wanted me to die. Why would I give up my life for that person to continue on? I probably wouldn't do that. Some of you may think less of me on that, but... I'd rather, I'd rather tell you the truth about that than for me to be a liar. Because if I said I would give up my life for my enemies, that probably would be a lie. It might sound good, but it's just not true. So, but I, but, but so Jesus said, no, no, I just gave up my life for all of you, even those of you who hate me, don't believe in me and refuted me. Now you may not take this gift and you may end up being separated from me because, because you, you rejected my redemption. You know, the only sin that he can't forgive is that sin against the Holy Spirit. I reject what you did. I don't want it, and I don't accept it, and I, and I will not believe it. Okay, well, there's, there's nothing we can do about that. Now you've, now you've pushed yourself 
uh, away from God, and because of that, that will be a eternal uh, damnation. But he says, look, I went to the limit. So what, what the, the other thing he wants us to understand, what is the effectiveness of our redemption, meaning it is complete. He did not spare his own son who, who he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him, underline that, graciously give us all things? I mean, if he'll do that, it's complete. He gave him up for us all. God's God offers forgiveness. We enter into forgiveness through what? Repentance. I turn a 180 from my sin. What, what, what do we say? A, a good definition that we can all understand, especially as men. Uh, repentance is the vomiting of the soul. I, I, I despise my sin. I hate this sin. And I turn from this sin. And I turn to you. So we get this forgiveness when we enter in forgiveness through repentance and faith in Christ. And that's a faith we talked about what? Of action. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this Wednesday Bible study is I think we all understand grace, but I'm not sure we understand faith. Because we are saved by grace through faith. And normally we just say that because we've learned it, but we don't, in the grace part we get. I had nothing I could do. God had to, he had to do it. I couldn't do it. And it was something, I got something I didn't deserve. What about this thing about faith? Because it says through faith. Well, it's important not to miss that because faith is a faith of action. I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm talking about the, uh, the to, to access the power of the grace. Remember what I said about the Hall of Fame of Faith? Abraham didn't make the Hall of Fame of Faith by believing he should go. He made the Hall of Fame of Faith, what? When he went. Noah didn't make the Hall of Fame of Faith of, faith of saying, I believe you want me to build some gigantic something, and I believe you're going to drop some moisture in here and something about a flood. I believe all those things are true. I do believe you're going to destroy the earth, and I believe I need to build what you told me to build. No, he, he, he had a, a saving faith when he went 120 years doing exactly what God told him to do while he was being mocked and he was being belittled and he was being reviled and made fun of. He kept doing it because the saving faith was when he actually did it. Okay, uh, Abraham didn't have a saving faith when he said, I think you want to, me to sacrifice the only son you gave me. I think you do. No, he said, I, I, it's a saving faith when I walk my son up there. You remember, and even the writer of Hebrews says, you know, Abraham might have been thinking, I, maybe he wants me to kill my son and then he'll raise him from the dead. He certainly can. But he just said, if God wants me to sacrifice my son, then that's what I'm going to do. That's what we're talking about. What is a disciple of Jesus? A disciple of Jesus is one who says what Jesus says to say and does what Jesus says to do. That's a saving faith. I, I'm in action. What did James say to the church when he saw the sin? He says, I don't know. Do y'all, do y'all believe what you claim to believe? I tell you one thing you need to do to get right with God. You need to submit yourself then to God. You need to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You need to come near to God and he'll come near to you. Submit, resist, come near. Action, action, action. That's faith. I, I, I have no faith in myself. My faith is now in you. I'm denying self, meaning I'm not a better version of myself. I have become you, Luke 9, 23. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You're not a better version of yourself. We don't exist anymore. Saved by grace, through faith, completely giving ourselves to Christ, completely repenting of our sin. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, so that that's what he's talking about. And Paul wants us to know that is adequate. When it's done, it's done. Christ's death achieved only a possibility for redemption and salvation. That's important. Only a possibility. It's been done, but it has to be accessed. 
So, so you need an exercise of what I just talked about. What? Faith. Do you see that? Faith is going to get it. Okay? That, that, that's, that, that's that faith of action. It's like there's an analogy, and pardon me for this analogy, if you've had an unfortunate situation in your family where someone was killed by a, a gun, I, I, I don't want to do an insensitive analogy, and I know how there's a lot of bad, you know, they're, they're for protection, they need to be responsible, we need them, but I'm going to use this analogy. The, a gun just has the potential to shoot. You know, if it's loaded, it has the potential to shoot. But when does it shoot? When you pull the trigger. That's the faith. Okay, that, that's the analogy. I, I may have it, and it has all the potential, but if I don't pull that trigger, I can, I can point at whatever's after me all I want to. Nothing's going to happen. I got, I, got to, I got to activate it. Does that make sense? That's, that's what he's talking about. And... Um, uh, pardon me, Jim, if my form was not good just then. I was just doing an analogy. I wasn't. It was just the, the, so. Um, so what that means when we talk about faith, when he says all, when he says that about, you know, uh, that he said this when he did. He did not spare his own son, but he gave himself up for us all. You know what he means? You know, how you could say it in, in Calhoun County. He, I would say it like this. He who did not spare his own son, but he gave himself up for all of us that pulled the trigger. Because the people don't pull the trigger. It was potentially there for them, but they didn't take it. They, they didn't move in faith. They just simply believed the concepts of it, or they didn't believe it at all. But it was still there. You know, this is what some of you need to understand that may be kicking the tires. Whether you believe in it or not, it doesn't matter. It's there. It happened. Just because you don't believe it don't mean it didn't happen. And I think some people try that. You know, you remember the time we were, and I won't get deep on this because this is a whole nother jump off into commentaries and theories and da 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 we're not going to do that today. But I was it wasn't this studio. It was about two or three studios ago. Back in the early days of the show, I'm interviewing a country music singer that will remain unnamed. And the country music singer was on the air. And, you know, those of you who are not familiar with the show, we talk about our faith and we talk about theology. We talk about scripture on a secular radio show. It's um, Our show is a show about anything, including scripture, including theology. So the country singer said this thing, uh, but didn't know that I had read C.S. Lewis and others on this. This is that, you know, the trait we just try not to deal with what God did through Christ. Well, but, uh, you know, I just look at it this way. What about all those that, uh, that don't know about the gospel? What about them? What about those that never heard? Man, I said, you know, that's a very deep question. I said, there's a lot of, com- lot of commentary on that. I can talk about some scriptures about that. And I said, but what I don't understand is that doesn't apply to you. So what are you going to do? And then it was really awkward and silent on the show, and you could hear the Rick and Bubba theme going to the break. And this country singer literally sit there and stared, and I, and I repeat, I said, that doesn't apply to you, though. So what are you going to do? And then it hits Rick and Bubba, Rick and Bubba, and we just sit there in silence. And this person got up, and I just said, so what are you going to do? And they walked out. Well, say those of you that I mean, it, I hate to say it today, that that's not an excuse for you anymore. We're talking about what what God did through Jesus. You do know, you know. We we could sit around forever and talk about well, what about people that don't know or haven't heard or whatever. But we have. So so those of us that that have heard this and we know that He died for us all and we know that, well, it's available to us. But until we we act in faith, we don't get it. You know, and you trying to take your situation to pretend you're like other people that you think are out there, but you're not. You know. So you will be held accountable. We know that for a fact. 
So that's important to know that. Uh, so then the other point he wants us to make is what? If you want all things, there's only one place to find them, in Jesus. But learn to say that about yourself because, you know, the more I'm being sanctified, the more I'm growing. When I referred back to old Rick, we, we do this a lot of times when um, uh, a new friend of mine that uh, I'm teaching a Sunday school class with now came into my life and started trying to help me with my with my sin of gluttony and and the way that I'd let myself go. And, and it took me a long time to call it sin. And um, I, my, my wife, as y'all know, who is, who is not the most subtle person that you ever talk to. I had a friend of mine who's still struggling uh, with the things that I struggle with. And he went to my wife and he said, I want to ask you, when did Rick finally, you know, I know he's always dealt with this. When did, when did he finally have success and losing some weight and getting himself in better shape and getting healthier? When, when, when did he finally address his weight? And my wife said, when he called it sin. Until he would call it sin, he was never going to address it. Uh, because, you, you know, I couldn't sell him on, hey, you, your clothes might fit better. Uh, you would have thought maybe I'd wanted maybe my wife not to be married to a guy who looked like I did. Uh, and if she looked the way I did, how would I feel about it? None of those things work. Hey, you need a bit of play with your kids. That didn't work. When I came, when, if, when I addressed it, and as you can see, I'm still working on it, and I, but I'm not justifying it anymore. And I'm not talking about some holy BMI that if you're 6'2", and if you don't weigh 180, you're going to hell. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about that I had to look into my life and say the way I look and, and my inactivity and my, and my overeating is gluttonous and I'm, and I'm being a sloth. I'm slothful and I'm a glutton. And I quit justifying it. And, uh, and then once I quit justifying it and I start thinking when I decided to go that way again that I was actually reverting back to sin as opposed to just trying to do better, then, then I realized it was a, it was a game changer. And, and so that, that's the thing that he's saying. Look, when you acknowledge the situation that you're in and realize that if you'll just get to the point where you are Rick in Christ, that's where you're going to find satisfaction. Cause I'm everything. I provide everything. There's, there's nothing better than me. And so the transformation of me is, is and so when, when I'm dealing with this in the workout, it, it got, when I finally start having a little more improvement and I'm, you know, I'm an old man doing it. So the, I'm not going to set any awards. I ain't going to win any trophies, but he will say this to me, hold me accountable. He'll say, have you seen the workout? And I say, yeah. He goes, now look, are you going to finish it? And he goes, or, or is old Rick going to come up? He said, cause you know, old Rick, he'd look at that workout. He'd leave. You know, old, old Rick would call and say, well, I don't know. I think I can get there today. And so he refers to old Rick. But what I, what we need to do is do the opposite end and say, let's talk about new Rick in Christ. So Rick, what, what makes you new? Christ does. So when I say, well, Rick in Christ is going to do this, Rick without Christ did that. That's really it. Now I'm in Christ. So the only thing good about me is Christ. The only thing that changes me is Christ. The only thing that alters my behavior is Christ. The only thing that gives me the ability to, to treat my wife the way I should is Christ. It's not her. You know, because, I mean, on her best day, I'll find some justification I treat her right. Because on my best day, I'm still pretty flawed. But, but you know, so don't look to me. Look to Jesus. I, and Sherry and I say this all the time. If we go out and speak or we're teaching our class and you walk out there talking about Rick and Sherry, we failed. But if you walk out there talking about Jesus or talking about God and how maybe we were used to point you to God, then that's fine. You know, but if, if, we, if, we, if you got in there and all I did was point you to me, even in this Bible study, if I'm pointing you to me, that I'm in sin. What we need to be doing is pointing you to Scripture and pointing you to Jesus and pointing you to the great I am and pointing you into the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's the next thing? 
what does it cover? The next thing that Paul talks about. He says some of the things that God, he's always reminding us about his resume. Think about the things. He always says, remember what I've already done for you. Remember who I am. I am the Lord your God. He would always tell his people this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the, the land of slavery. I brought you out of slavery. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't forget that. He gave a resume piece before he said that. He didn't just start out and say, you have no other gods before me. See, I've always looked at it that way. No, he starts out by saying, remember who I am. I'm the Lord, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. How would we say that in the New Testament in being Gentiles? You are the Lord, my God, that brought me out of the slavery of sin. You delivered me from sin. You are the Lord, my God, who delivered me from sin. That's who I am. That's who you are. And then when he says, well, they don't have any other gods before me, who else could deliver you from sin is what he's saying. See, that's polytheism. You know, we try to come up with all these other little ways to cover everything when all we needed was him. He said, I, look, you, 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 you can be an idolater just by thinking that anybody else can do for you what I did. Any other thing can do for you what I did. And for, for the, the children of Israel, it was, you remember how you got out of slavery, don't you? What we say is, he said, you remember how I redeemed you, don't you? So don't, don't have any other gods before me, because what you're trying to do when you have other things other than me, you're trying to say, I do not encompass all things. There's just something that God doesn't quite provide. Over here, that, that woman you shouldn't be chasing. That man you shouldn't be chasing. You know, that, that job, that if you'll just get that job, if I just had this money, if I just had that thing, if I just had this prestige. You know what that is? That's polytheism. That's having gods before him by saying, you cover some things, but you don't cover everything. You're not all I need. You're just mostly what I need. And he says, look, I can't have that. He said, I provide all you need. I encompass every good thing. And he says, that's what you must understand. Do you not remember the Passover? Do you not remember the Red Sea? And what do we say? Do you not remember your redemption? Do you not remember me delivering you from sin? Do you not remember what I did through Jesus? So a lot of times we read the Old Testament and we think, well, I'm not Jewish. I'm not a child of Israel. But then you forget, when Jesus came along, he said, I'll take Jew and Gentile. Y'all all, we're all under the same God now. And what do we say in this? I love this. Probably my biggest takeaway from the J.I. Packer book was me understanding adoption. I had not really thought about that the way he laid it out. I'd read it before, but I'd never really understood. You've been adopted. You've been adopted into the children of God. You, 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 stand, you stand in the same place that my chosen people have stood. You are my child. So you're my father? Absolutely. But there was a time as a Gentile when he wasn't. We were out. So that's a pretty big deal. So so, so all that Red Sea stuff, all that Passover stuff, all those things. And what did he say in the Passover? What did they have to do to be protected from, from death? Take the blood of a perfect lamb, put it over your doorpost with a what? A hyssop branch. What did Jesus say from the cross when he wanted to get his palate moisturized to say it is finished. They handed him a sour sponge on a hyssop branch, which was not very functional to hand something up to somebody. It's like a bush. It's really better for that, for that putting that blood, but it had to be because he's saying once again to everybody, I am the lamb. I am the lamb of God. Here it comes. 
Now, once that hyssop branch has brought this moisture up to my dried palate, I say to Telestai, paid in full. It is done. It is finished. And then he went down there and stood before those nasty, uh, rebellious angels that rebelled against God that the God had put in jail after all the stuff they tried to pull. And they went with Satan to undermine him. And he stood in front of him. He said, we beat you. You didn't win. I'm about to walk out of this tomb. Just want to come see you real quick before I walk out of here. But it's done. You didn't stop us. You didn't stop my father. You didn't stop me. You couldn't do it. You got beat. And we should celebrate that. And why do we try to put anything better than that? He said, I can protect and I can provide anything. God is completely adequate. And that's, that's what this whole last chapter is about. He's done it all. God saved his children, the, the, the Israelis, from the bondage of Egypt. And he saves us, the church, from the bondage of sin. Anybody, anybody excited to be freed from sin? Oh, my goodness. So why then? Oh, this is good. This was convicting. So why then are we, the modern Christians, mainly the church, so timid? Why are we so timid? Everything we just celebrated and got a pet rally going about, we shouldn't be afraid of anything. We're afraid of somebody protesting us at church. We're afraid of somebody saying we're mean. The, the pursuit of the follower of Jesus is not to be liked. That's not the end all. Everybody likes me. Well, then something's wrong because we know that Paul said to young Timothy, he said, hey, tell all the men and all the women, tell the whole church that anyone who chooses to live a godly life will be persecuted. If I'm living such an inadequate life as a follower of Jesus that the world just is great with me, then I've compromised something. Right? I told you all this when we were doing the manchurch.com. I, t- I talked about it I, when I was talking that, about that before. It was running too smooth to begin with. It, it, and, and I was like, I don't even know if God's in this. Then suddenly persecution started coming. Problems started coming. Hard decisions started coming. Pushback started coming. And, of course, a brother of mine says, hey, man, how does that make you feel? I said, joyful. It was going so smoothly. I didn't think God was in it. Wasn't nobody against us. You know, but now they are. So, so, so this, 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 you know why, you know why they're, they're coming against it now? Oh, so y'all taking this serious. I thought you'd done faded away from this. Y- y'all are actually doing it. It's actually happening. And one thing that Satan hates is men, a remnant, but men are actually growing spiritually and are actually moving forward. And you know what? Godly men change everything. That's, that's what we say. Disciple men change everything. Men and women are equal, but they're not the same. And women have been given a job that, 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 that men are supposed to be doing, being the perfect husband to them, so they can be the perfect help to us. And what we've done is says, here, baby, you got it all. And that's never the way it was designed. And there's a lot of women that are burdened by the fact that their husband won't leave. That, that, they didn't ask for that. Now, are there some women that have a Jezebel spirit that don't respect their husbands and they try to undercut them? Yeah, that's out there. But the majority of the situations that, that we've seen, including my own house, when my wife was a spiritual leader of our home, it's because I wouldn't do it. It's not because she was trying to under, undercut me or, or step into my place. I, you know why she stepped in my place? Because I wasn't there. And, you know, praise God through her, her help and, and God's help, I finally have been able to take the role that only God could give me. 
So why are we so timid? Why do we as Christians seek comfort and safety first? I, I mean, think about what Paul's just told us. You win. If God's for you, who can be against you? And we go out there and go, if I stand too close to God, somebody will come against me. Well, yeah, but, 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 but who cares? When did we become so safety first? I don't want trouble. I mean, when I look at those Coptic Christians, do you remember that scene? I saw it. Uh, I saw a message this past Sunday, and they actually put it up on the big screen. My son was the one who put it up there. And those Coptic Christians in Egypt, and they're on their knees, and they're on that beach, and they put them in them jumpsuits, and standing behind each and every one of them is a man with a sword. And they said, either renounce Jesus right now, or we all on one on ready to go. We're cutting everybody's head off. And you know what? It, it was kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all know you'll probably talk about this. I love the fact that they wouldn't even let the king go get the band. Remember us talking about that? Do y'all not love that? They knew they weren't going to bow to him. The furnace was already lit, and he was like, well, look, let me go get the band, and we'll let the musicians play, and y'all think about it. No need to go get them. God may save us from this fire, he may not, but we ain't worshiping you. We know that. And these Coptic Christians, with their knees on the beach and their families watching, said, there's no need to put this off. We ain't renouncing Jesus. Do what you got to do. What? They killed every one of them. But Jesus was glorified. And there's people watching that that I promise you came to know Jesus because you know what they said? These guys are serious. These guys... It's the reason why one of the things that had me believe the Bible. Because I started looking at these followers of Jesus, and I said, hmm, because you've heard this garbage. Well, it's just made up by a bunch of people. A bunch of men made it up. I got news for you. If I'm going to make up a story about myself, I'm not a coward. I don't have any bad stories about me in here, about rejecting Jesus, you know, being wrong about so many things, being terrified, uh, leaving him to be crucified while we hid. I don't write that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you another thing I don't do. I don't die for something that I know is a lie. Now, people sometimes die for something they don't know is a lie. But nobody dies over something they know is a lie. So for me to make it up, I had to know it didn't really happen. Right? Well, I'm not dying for something that I know we're all making up. I mean, the first time they bring us in and said, hey, we're going to kill all of you if you don't stop this Jesus stuff. You know what I say? All right, guys, the gig is up. I remember one time when I was in high school, like an idiot, I was doing this prank in my town where we were pretending to be something that we weren't and scaring people. We were terrifying people out, you know, who were going out on weekends and going up on the mountain. We would come out and terrify them and put all these hoods on like we were some druids or something like that. And we terrified the whole community. But let me tell you when we came clean. When the trucks started going out with people with guns in it saying, we're going to solve this. (laughs) When I found out they were going to kill us, Hey, man, these are choir robes. We're done. Okay? We're just kidding around. So, but these men went on and were martyred and would not reject Jesus. These guys on the beach would not reject Jesus. People don't do that for something they know is not real. They were sold out. You know, you, the great thing about George Whitfield, I talked about this last night at home. We do a Bible study at home with the, with the, with the two boys who are home right now. And I was telling them about George Whitfield. So, great preacher in England. So, and he would preach anywhere. And he was incredible. So, a reporter, an atheist, went to cover one of his gatherings where people were going to hear him speak. 
And so the reporter, who did not believe, went to try to do something to talk about this is all a bunch of whatever. So he's coming out of where Whitfield was speaking. Well, a buddy has met him, and he said, so did you, did, did you, do you now believe? He said, I'm not sure. He said, but he does. He absolutely believes because he could see it in the way he was speaking, and he could sense that this man believed every word he was saying. I don't know what I'm going to believe yet, but I came to cover this guy. That guy believes it. So did they say that about you? Did they say that about me? Did they say, now I've watched this person live out their faith, and they believe. That's what Paul is talking about. Do you walk around knowing that the God that you serve has provided everything that you need, and he delivered you from the bondage of death because he delivered you from the bondage of sin? Do you live like you believe that? And do you live like you believe that, the, that he was able to forgive you for sin, that he has overcome death, that he has overcome, as he said in John sixteen thirty three. look, whatever's bothering you in the world, whatever comes against you, and it will be problematic. Human beings will come against you. Demonic forces will come against you. Fallen flesh will come against you. Your body's dying will come against you. But you remember, whatever you're facing, I've overcome the world. Do you live like you believe that? If God's for me, who's against me? I hope we're all thinking about that right now because I don't understand this new timidity. And let me tell you what you'll never find. I cannot find one man, not one woman who is a follower of Christ or is, is, is sold out to the great I am. You can't find one throughout Scripture that is passive, not one. The Bible, those that are right with God are not passive people. They're just not. They're humble people. That's different. But they're not passive. They're meek, but they're strong. That's just strength under control. So we right now, as the modern church, do we have the attitude of the first church? And what was the attitude of the first church? We're going to turn this world upside down. Do you see that at church much? I mean... Wouldn't you love for there to be politicians and kings and, and tyrannical leaders all over this world in our country to look at the group of people gathered here today and say, what are we going to do with these people? Like, there was just a band of a small little church that was starting in Acts, and what was said about them? What are we going to do about these people that are turning the world upside down? Turning the world upside down. Is that the church of today? We fear the consequences far too much. And you know what that means? We're not persuaded in the confidence in the adequacy of God. We're not quite sure he's enough. We're not quite sure he's got us covered. That's just a sin of disbelief. We break the first commandment because we're trying too hard to cover all the bases. And he says, don't try to cover all the bases. Just have me. And then, as I said, to close out, what does that really mean? We just don't really believe it. It's just a sin of unbelief. That's one of the things I thought was so incredible of the testimony of... um, Rosaria Butterfield, is that, am I saying her name right? She had the testimony. She lived in the, the life of homosexuality. 
and she was an opening practicing uh, homosexual. And when they talked to her about her redemption, she said, I was caught up of everybody accusing my behavior to be a sexual sin or, you know, this, you shouldn't be doing this, da 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 da. She goes, and that didn't really work. She said, but through the process of somebody who was a Christian talking to me and just slowly convincing me, I realized that my behavior was really just the sin of unbelief. For me to live this way, man, I didn't believe in God. See, see, it was it was focused too much on what you're doing and description of what you're doing. That's wrong. Well, why do you keep doing something that you know is wrong? Ultimately, when you break it down to the heart, it's one sin. It's a sin of unbelief. Because if I really believed in God, I wouldn't be doing this. I can speak to that in my own life. So the next thing, and we'll get ready to close, the next thing that uh, that Paul wants us to understand is who will accuse us. Who, who, who now can accuse those? He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? This is verse 33. Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. And then we talked about last week, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? No accusation can, 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 can ever come to us that takes away our inheritance. You got it? Packer talks about, he says, no one can uninherit you. When you belong to Jesus, can't nobody separate you from him. Who's going to accuse you? Jesus is your interceder. Jesus is the one who accuses, and Jesus is the one who redeems. And once the and once Jesus has said, this is the standard, I'm sitting here saying this is the way, and, and if the adversary says, I continue to accuse one that has been, has been redeemed by Jesus, you know what it says? No, Jesus doesn't allow anybody to accuse you. What, what, is, what, what, what does Satan call himself? The devil is what the accuser. So if Jesus says, I will hand judgment down of those that are unredeemed, he has the authority to do that. Satan don't have the authority to accuse you. He didn't have the authority to accuse me. He can't take away my inheritance. So he, 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 what Paul is saying, be aware of sin, but now it says this, don't, no one, just because somebody's aware of a sin, but they're not really powerful enough to pardon the sin. You want to concentrate on the one that can pardon sin. What, what did Jesus say? Why are you worried about people that may can kill your body, but they can't take your spirit? Don't be afraid of these people. Don't let those be your accuser. You need to be concerned about my father and be sure you're right with him because I got news for you. He's the one that can take away your eternity. These people can't do that. I can pardon, so I did. But I had the authority to pardon. If I pardon you, it's over. Nobody can come in after the ultimate judge has pardoned someone and say, I don't think I'll pardon them. You know, he says, who cares what they think? You ever had these people in your life that keep trying to bring up things you did 25, 30, 40 years ago? You know what Jesus says? Didn't I pardon you from that? Do you live that way anymore? I don't. Then, then leave it alone. Don't let these people do that to you. That's not me. I don't do that. Paul had already written in, in chapter 7, what, about um, how he struggled. And he said how he kind of, sometimes he said, Paul says, sometimes because I'm so frustrated with my flesh, I kind of lose my way and, and, and I forget that after I've, I've sinned again and I failed, sometimes I start to, to doubt about my redemption. You know, what, what, what did we say last week if you missed it? The reason why Paul wrote chapter 8 is because he just finished chapter 7. And we were like, is this where you're going to leave us? 
And then he comes back and says, now let me tell you the good news. And that's where we are now. He said, yes, we can begin to doubt our justification. Paul takes that on directly in chapter 7. But Paul is clear that even Christians may fail and may fall. But remember what we said, the disciple of Jesus who's been redeemed, may, as long as he's in the flesh, may struggle with sin, but he doesn't live in sin. And Paul said, I keep making mistakes. And I get frustrated that I make a mistake at all, but that's that flesh in me. But then I remember that I've been redeemed and I have been delivered, so I get myself back in line because there's one thing that Satan would love to convince you is like, it's too late. I can't tell you the number of people in my testimony to some degree, when I started falling away, Satan showed up to say, well, it's over now. You're too far gone. Look, Jesus can pardon you. I don't care how far gone you are. You repent of your sin, and Jesus says, look, I've seen it all before. (laughs) You haven't committed any sin I haven't already seen. I tell people all the time when I speak at men's conferences, if Jesus can forgive me, forgiving you ain't going to be no big deal. Okay? If I can be redeemed, then anybody can be redeemed. Paul is reminding us that God redeemed us. We answer to him. We don't answer to any other accuser. Paul reminds us of God's sovereignty and judgment. It is God who justifies. So it's only God who can condemn. Write that down in Romans 4, verse 5. No one alters God's judgment. God is already fully aware of our unworthiness. He knows all about it. Think about Charles Spurgeon. What a great statement. I think Adrian Rogers said something similar. When asked, how does it feel when people say bad things about you? You know what they both said? I'm just glad they don't know about me what God knows. (laughs) I'm worse than they even know. So you know what? So don't don't let anybody break it. You think God didn't know how unworthy we are of his redemption? He's, he's fully aware of it, but he gave it anyway. And then back to what we talked about last week. Who can separate us? Who shall can separate us from the love of Christ? Paul is reminding us that God's love isn't fickle like ours is. Oh, somebody write that down. Somebody needed to hear that. You know how people's love can be fickle? God's in. It's con- he's not like us. Praise God for that. His love is a divine love and is a function of God's omnipotence, all-powerful, all-sufficient. Somebody say that again, all-powerful, all-sufficient. God is our keeper. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God's love holds us fast. 1 Peter 1.5, he says what? He said his love is guarded. God will sustain the faith of all of us who are in him. He sustains us. He holds us. He lifts us up when we can't. We're not dependent on us to hold this together. We're dependent on him to hold it together. Don't, take, don't put that pressure on yourself. God's love is adequate and perfect, unlike human beings. If you have your Bible real quick, I think we can get to it. Let's go to Philippians 3. I'm going to read this to you. You're going to love this. Let's go to Philippians 3. In Philippians 3... Uh, beginning in, you know, you know, Paul's in jail and he's talking about all the things that he's lost everything for Christ. And look, look at chapter three uh, in, in beginning of verse eight. Um, I'm going to start in seven because I like I like what he says in seven. But whatever gain I had before he was redeemed, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything. Somebody underline everything. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. 
and I count them as rubbish in order that I've gained Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith. There is again, faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, underline that, becoming like him in his death. Paul knows he's going to be a martyr. He knows it. I'm going to share in these sufferings. Remember what was Ananias told by God? Go tell Paul all he must suffer for me. I've got him blind. I've got him humble. i got him ready. It's going to be a new day for Paul. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, and this is it. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why do I press on? Because I belong to him. He's given me everything that I need. But he addresses the fear of the unknown. But you know what he does? You know how Paul addresses the fear of the unknown? Oh, this is good. Write this down. I cling to the things that he does know. How do you face the unknown? By clinging to the things you know. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get us all squalling in here today, but you know, Bill Searcy, I was talking to him days before his earthly death, and Bill was a regular in here, and we were talking about this. Are you afraid? He said, I'm not afraid. Why? He said, but I'm curious because I don't know what this process is going to be like. So how do you get through, Billy, through these things that you don't know? He said, because I'm clinging to the things that I do know. I do know, however, this process works will end with me in the presence of the Lord. I'm not afraid. Now, I'm curious because some of these things I don't know. Like I told Joe when we were in the plane that we weren't sure was going to survive when Lee Moore looked at me from the man church team, and he says, I ain't afraid to die, but I ain't crazy about the process. You know what? And I said, well, if today's the day, man, ain't nothing we can do about it. So let's cling to the things we know. And, you know, and I'm here, so that wasn't the day. So when, we, when, we're, when we're thinking about the things that we don't know, look what Paul did. He said, I know that I belong to God, and I know he's faithful, and I know he's sufficient, and I know that I belong to Jesus. So this is the, the climax to remind us of what it looks like to truly know God in Christ. Let's turn quickly to Psalms 27, and we're done. Psalms 27. This has been a good study, hasn't it? I've learned a lot from it. Psalms 27. Let's leave on this. On Psalms 27, and we're going to go to verse 8. Psalms 27, verse 8, and then, well, there's a lot of Psalms in there. Um, I thought about doing a study on Psalms, but I didn't know if we'd ever get through it. Uh, but, I, but I still may do that. Psalms 27, verse 8. Let's go to it. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. You said to me, seek my face. My heart, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? And you have not hid your face from me. So remember that. Those of us that belong to Christ, remember all these things that Paul wanted us to know. And in closing, remember that everything we need, God has provided. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for time together in this room with these men 
Thank you for all who joined us on this Bible study. And thank you for our brother, J.I. Packer, that, that only one summer ago, on July the 17th, stepped into the, your presence. And I know that he heard, well done, good and faithful servant, as we continue to learn from the work that you inspired through him. And we look forward to the day that we stand in your presence and we can thank J.I. Packer personally. Lord, I pray for those that today maybe was the day that they realized that they're not so far away that you can't redeem them. And today's the day they'll repent of their sins and they'll turn to you. And if they're sincere, Lord, you you have promised to forgive and to wipe away forever. You deny no one with a sincere heart that confesses their sin, repents of their sin, and submits to your authority and acknowledges you publicly that you are now their Lord. If they're sincere, you do not deny them and you will forgive them. Thank you for, for providing all that we need. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us. Talk to you next week.